Have you ever wondered how someone from a different gender might approach advocacy for women and women's equality? Today on the podcast, I talk with a professional who happens to be a gentleman who does women's advocacy working with men in a corporate environment. Listen in and tell me what you think about how Jeffrey and I approach this topic from different vantage points. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. This is Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, and I am looking forward to the conversation today on Breaking Money Silence. We have Jeffrey Tobias Halter. He's a gender strategist and the president of Why Women. It's a consulting company focused on engaging men in women's leadership advancement. And anybody who follows my work knows that I just love that whole concept. Uh, Jeffrey is a two-time TED speaker. Uh, He contributes or is a contributing writer to the Huff Post, and he also has written several books. The one we're going to be talking about today a little bit is Selling to Men, Selling to Women, and he is very, very busy running around the country right now consulting with Fortune 500 companies that focus on advancing women. And again, his uh, contribution is training men to be advocates for advancing women in leadership. So welcome, Jeffrey, to the podcast. Hi, Kathleen. Thanks for having me on. So before we get into the myth and busting it wide open, can you tell people a little bit about how you got into this field as a man of advancing women? (laughs) Yeah, it's really funny. If you had asked me 20 years ago if this is what I'd be doing, I would have laughed at you. I'm a sales guy, sales management, most of my first 20 years in business. I was uh, actually running sales training and I was tapped on the shoulder to take over a diversity education program at my company. And uh, I kind of wondered if there was some meeting that I didn't go to to get in charge of this program because I'm a straight white guy and and I had no idea why I got tapped for this project. But long story short, I would go on a journey of discovery. I would uh, discover what white male privilege is and the world revolves around me. And, and I would become curious to this concept that men and women uh, were having different experiences in the workplace that most people don't understand. And the, and the same is true for people of color, people of different sexual orientations. And, and so um, I just chose to get curious and, and start doing research. And the research was overwhelming. Uh, It led to a book and it led to me launching this company now that, um, believe it or not, Kathleen, for your listeners, it's really encouraging. Um, I will go out and train 35 men at a time and we spend seven hours talking about how to be better advocates for women. Most of these men are leaders in the Fortune 500 and... uh, and I was on the road 30 weeks last year. So uh, there's a lot of men who want to help. 
who want to be great advocates. Uh, unfortunately, they never make the headlines the way the Me Too people do. But uh, uh, there's a tremendous wave in this country coming, and it's all positive for women. I love that. I mean, I have, for years I've been uh, advocating as a woman in women's empowerment for men to get involved in the idea that you are someone who is uh, helping and providing a, a forum for these conversations and for this advocacy is is really exciting. And that's kind of how we met. So the money myth that we're going to be talking about today certainly fits with that. So, Jeffrey, can you tell people the money myth that you picked and what motivated you to pick it today? Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, there's kind of a myth out there that men manage the majority of wealth in this country. And the truth is, that's not true. Uh, we're going to focus on a couple different areas. One is, um, just real quickly, uh, B2C. You know, if, if you think about everything bought and sold in this country, it's bought by women. Women are 83% of all consumable goods in this country, $7 trillion. Uh, women buy, buy or influence, and this is the really key point, um, cars and homes. You know, the, the home one is interesting. Typically, anyone's largest single purchase. And, uh, you know, for your listeners, men, did you think you had any say in that house that you bought? Because if, if she is not happy, uh, you're not buying that house. Uh, and whether it's healthcare, whether it's uh, oh men's underwear, women buy more men's underwear than men buy. Uh, everything in this country is bought by women. The the women control the economy, the buying economy of the U.S. The fascinating one that I want to spend time on though is this myth that um, men control the majority of wealth in this country, and that is true, but it is changing at light speed. I'm going to share a couple statistics uh, from a Merrill Lynch study called Women and Wealth. Before you do, um, let me jump in real quick. Before yeah, yeah, we get yeah, into please. the actual statistics, Jeffrey, I'm wondering, um, why do you, well, two things. One is that if you look at personal wealth in the United States, it actually is controlled by 51% of uh, 51% of the personal wealth is controlled by women. Um, I think we're talking about different statistics around men having the majority. But the part that I'm really curious about, just getting your opinion before we delve into the yeah. statistics that you have, is the idea of, you know, there's this stereotype out there and the belief that somehow men are the providers, uh, women are not uh, breadwinners, and that men, you know, your myth fits in, men manage the majority of wealth in this country. So, do you have any sense of where that stereotype comes from in the conversations that you've had or the experience that you have been through the past couple of years? Yeah, it's really funny. Uh, <laughs> you have to realize um, boomers still think like their parents. And we are still, you know, whether it's work schedule or corporate America, we are still stuck in a 1970s model where people think women stay home and men go to work. Uh, in fact, you know, almost 65% of the workforce uh, of women are in the workforce full-time, more when you add in part-time. 36% um, of homes have a female head of household, um, and, and the number is greater than that when, when you look at female contributor to the household. And so this myth 
precipitates itself, I think, because men control the long-term wealth, or there's a perception that men control the long-term wealth. When you, when you look at the, the billionaires in this country being, you know, predominantly old white guys, and we think about multi-generations, you know, our parents or our grandparents having that wealth. Um, but, but that's really where the shift is happening so quickly. Um, there's a number that in the coming years, women are going to control 40 trillion with a T dollars in wealth in this country. And it's money from their parents, from their spouse, and money that they have made. And, and this is so eye-opening as you talk to people. And, and, and this is, and you, I know you're going to ask why I picked this topic, and what happens is 70% of the time, 70% of the time when the husband dies, the woman fires the male financial planner because he has always been patronizing to her. And she's going to outlive her husband by anywhere from 10 to 25 years with all this money. And it's just ludicrous that the financial community hasn't figured this out. But for your listeners, you know, it, it really boils down to the money myth of men and women need to start talking about wealth and transference of wealth. And that's husband to wife and, and, and family to children. And, and I think that's still just a, a big taboo uh, in many regards in, in our culture. Yeah, I think that it's a big taboo. Uh, 44% of Americans would rather talk about death, dying, politics, or religion than talk about money with their loved ones. Um, and I also think that that as you're, you know, specifically relating to the 1970s, I often talk about it as the 1950s, um, where there is still these stereotypes about gender roles and money and what men should do and what women should do. And I think that really uh, is starting to very slowly shift and change, but is something that really makes a lot of people, unfortunately, in the financial services industry, but also out of the industry, kind of buy into this myth that men uh, manage the majority of the wealth in this country. When in fact, as you alluded to, Jeffrey, and as I spend most of my um, time focused on, 70% of the intergenerational wealth transfers going to women. And as you said, women make uh, the majority of consumer purchase decisions. So tell me a little bit about um, is there any way in which this particular myth can serve people? Like, why is this myth so hard to bust? And is there any way in which it serves people? I, I think it it serves to generate the conversation. You know, if we if we do nothing else, and and money is always tough to talk about, and and we're starting to have those conversations with the children. But you know, and, and I've heard on on past podcasts the fact that many times. Women don't even know the passwords for the accounts, you know, because the men have been, been controlling the, the, uh, the access to that. And so I'm going to give you a real simple tip that we came up with because we travel a lot, my wife and I, and, and we have something called the book. And, and what the book is, is it's obviously the will, but it's also all the passwords for all the accounts and the lawyers and et cetera. And, and I think this is a really nice way to give a little nudge to your female listeners out there. If they don't have the passwords, 
that, you know what, we need to write these down and we need to make sure the kids have them. And then all of a sudden you have the passwords and you can find out exactly what's going on. Now that may sound a little manipulative, but that's for the, the listeners who aren't going to ask their husbands, Hey, I want the passwords to the 401k. What's our investment strategy? You know, I know there's a lot of couples out there who aren't ready to have that conversation. It's funny though, because um, Jeffrey, I'm going to play Davos advocate for a minute. Yeah. So there's a lot of women out there who are the ones who have the passcodes and their husbands don't. So I want to make yeah. sure we also acknowledge, I happen to be one of those women, uh, who, uh, you know, the, the fact that some of this myth that men hold the passcodes, that men are the only ones interested in investments, that um, women have to kind of sneak their husbands into uh, giving them uh, some control. I, I yep. really want to be careful. I know that's not what you meant, but I really want to be careful and say, you know, how do we move the needle forward and not make these assumptions based solely on gender? Because I really think in my work with couples and my work with women that it really varies couple to couple. What do you think? No, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's generational. You know, when I made that comment, I was thinking more of my parents' generation, you know, because in our household, we're exactly what you said. I don't have a single password to, to anything. You know, God forbid my wife dies. I'm locked out of everything. So, uh, so I think it is inter, you know, it, it, I think there's a generational element to it. You know, my son's a millennial. He and his wife both have good jobs. They jointly manage their money, you know, through a budgeting process. So I think it's household by household, you know, what, you know, and, and so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in my early sixties and, and the, and the stories I hear are the husband passes away prematurely, let's say that, and, and the wife really doesn't know what to do. And in fact, many are money paralyzed, you know, while I've never spoken to the financial planner, I don't know what the payout is, et cetera. Uh, I think that's, that's uh, probably a, a generation older than I am, you know, and I think it is changing, you know, hopefully for our generation. It is that, that we are having it's, more and more conversation. Thank you for clarifying that. It, it, yeah, it is yeah. changing, and some of the recent data actually is a little disturbing in that um, millennial women are still deferring to their husbands. Um, but as you mentioned, your kids, um, people who work together on their finances as a team actually yep. feel more secure, uh, are both prepared, and, and kind of is the way in which I think our society is going. But you have... Some inside information. I'm not going to ask you to break confidentiality, but inside <laughs> information as to what some of the male business leaders are thinking out there. And and do you think that a lot of the men that you talk about still believe that men should control the investments uh, or the manage the money? Do, is that still kind of percolating out there? Because I often hang out with groups of women um, yep. <laughs> or very, very empowered men. Um, so tell us, you know, what what are you hearing out in the street and, and how much are you finding people are buying into this myth? Yeah, this is fascinating uh, because I'll tell you, it's not intent. It just kind of happens, you know, um, and, and, and so... Again, we're gonna we're gonna use this prototypical boomer model. All right, so I'll set the context for that. But it's the notion that you know, well, the and so this is a context of typically the male worked and the woman stayed at home. So kind of that generation, or she worked part time. She may be paying the bills. She may be managing the household budgets and the cash flow and the credit cards. 
but the wealth management, the 401ks, the stock options, the the pension plan is still kind of controlled by the men. And 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 we know, you know, I'm I'm sure your previous shows have talked about the fact that different investment strategies, you know, men tend to be risk takers, uh, both both good and bad involved or in that. And and again, in many of these households, that's always been the tradition. I think progressive men uh, are sharing that information with their spouses, saying what's going on. Smart financial planners are involving both spouses. But, you know, this is even a case of, uh, and, and one of the reasons the work I do and, and why I picked this topic, you know, the bias of financial planners. So I have a female colleague who has always been the breadwinner. She uh, has her own CPA firm. She's probably got 200 clients. She's got a couple employees and they were getting a new financial planner. Now her husband has been stay at home uh, for most of their life. She sent them all of their financial information. Now think about this. She's a CPA. Think how well laid out this would be. And when they met went to meet with this man who was referred to her by a female colleague. He got up, walked around the desk, shook the hand of the man, didn't even acknowledge her and talked to her husband literally the whole time, implying he hadn't even opened the finances and seen where the money is coming from. And, and, and you know, this is just, this is just bad customer service. But it's so common. You know, our, our default is that, oh, you know, this must be his money and he must be controlling it. So you so. use the word intent when I, so yeah. let's get back to intent, yep. like somebody's intent versus what they actually do. Because I feel like that's a key issue. And, and yes. what you're talking about in the financial services industry, um, unfortunately, still happens a lot. And certainly, yeah. um, I would love to send them a copy or two of my books to <laughs> get over <laughs> yes. it. Um, but this issue of intent, like, tell me more about what you mean. Yeah, by that, I mean, I don't think it is intentional that men are withholding the long-term uh, wealth strategy for the household from their wives. What do you uh, think it, it is? Huh? What do you think it is? It, it's just, uh, it, it's just something that doesn't even come to mind. We, we tend to compartmentalize things and it just, believe it or not, Kathleen, it never dawns on us. And, and I'm going to use a, a, a scenario that I use in my training that a lot of women find just unbelievable. I will tell you it's absolutely true. And it's around becoming an advocate for women. Um, fathers today, most fathers wanted to raise really strong women. We supported our daughters whether it was sports or music, we made sure our daughters went to a great college. But when our daughter graduates and makes 78 cents to my son, when my daughter is faced with the bias that I know exists in my company, I choose, and this is about choice, is to do nothing. Because I have never made the connection that if I'm not advocating for women today, I'm hurting my daughter's future. 
And, and it's because we lead such siloed lives. We go to work. I'm not justifying this. I'm just saying what I teach in my, my training. I go to work, and unless there's something on my calendar saying, do this for the family, I'm head down and I'm working. And I think that translates to household money versus wealth, if that makes sense. So that's why I don't think there's an intent to mislead the spouse on the investment strategy, on where the money is. Uh, it, it's kind of like your whole show. We just don't think about talking about it. So, so part of it is having the conversation, and it also sounds like if, um, and, and we're generalizing here, but if women yeah, were to be course. empathetic to, you know, this myth, that it may be that men just haven't made that connection, or they haven't thought to either have the conversation or bring um, their partner into the conversation around, uh, you know, managing the wealth. So with that, w what tips would you offer people who are listening to start that process or to think about how they can be advocates, you know, whether it's around money and wealth and investments or whether it's yep. a different area, you know, start to bridge the gap between the genders. Yeah, I think it's, I think it, it falls on both party, but, um, you know, one thing I would ask women to do, and that is ask more questions of the financial planner and, and, Make them fact-based because, you know, where the light bulb kind of went off for us and, and we've, we've got a, a female financial planner, no great surprise. Um, but, but that, you know, it, it, we evolved to there. But if you ask uh, for a portfolio model that says, where is the money and when does it run out? Invariably, men drop off somewhere in their 70s and you go on until 85 or 90. And, a simple question for every woman who is not tied into the long-term financial wealth planning to say, tell me what happens here once he's gone. And I think that's a very legitimate question because every model shows the men dying first. And that's a great entry point for her to start to find out more about what's going on if she's not involved or to start saying, hey, you know, we need to change this conversation. I'm going to live to, to 89 and you're going to be gone at 76. And, you know, all due respect, honey, I love you, but I need to know a little bit more about what we got planned here. And, uh, and I think that's a huge question that's pretty simple to ask because shame on you if your financial planner is not giving you a cash flow analysis from, you know, zero, zero to retirement. I think and, that's and, a great suggestion. Let me just jump in here. What yeah, about your please. partner? So you're sitting there um, in this scenario. We have a woman who's asking this question, which is basically saying, include me in the conversation. Let's talk about what's going to happen if I outlive my spouse or my partner. What should the male partner do? Um, should he sit back and listen? Should he, you know, ask that question on her behalf? Like, what can the man do? Yeah, hopefully he can look at the financial planner and say, yes, let's answer that question. You know, this was so fascinating. When I wrote my book, Selling to Men, Selling to Women, I interviewed a lot of people who sell uh, life insurance. And, you know, think about this. So, you, so you're in the you're literally selling in someone's home and you're selling to a man and a woman. And when you're selling life insurance, you're asking questions about the family and long-term wealth, et cetera. 
and a, and a colleague I interviewed, literally the husband looked at him and said, so what you're telling me is when I die, she gets a million and a half dollars. And he said, yes, because they had spent the previous 45 minutes talking about what they need, needs of the children, house payoff. And he basically looked at the, uh, the life insurance guy and said, no way. <laughs> and, and he was just incredulous because he's thinking if she died and he got a million and a half dollars, he'd go buy a boat and everything he can imagine when in fact she has to pay off the house. She has to take care of the children. Um, but, but I think this is this myth that men carry that, oh my God, if I let you know I'm worth $2 million when I die, um, you're just going to go fritter that money away. When, when in fact we know, you know, you're going to hold on to every dime of that because you've got to live for another 15 years. So, so, really so I think that's that. another unspoken uh, issue. So it really gets to that money silence in couples, it seems, that, you know, if we're to bust this myth wide open, it's it's less about who controls the wealth. And it sounds like from your perspective, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jeffrey, we're talking about how do you have these conversations, not only uh, between partners, but also including the financial professional? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So. Now, what from your work can um, listeners learn? So, you know, time goes so quickly here, and I, I would love to hear, you know, two more tips from you. And then also, I know you have a wonderful offer for anybody who's listening mm-hmm. in today. You know, I, I think at the core of my work is is really getting men engaged in advocating for women. And advocacy can look like so many different things. And certainly within this this financial community, right? And so I'll give you a couple things that I talk about, and they're they're barriers that men carry, and and we call this the man code. Uh, and there's a number of tenants, so we could do a whole show on this, but I'll, I'll give you two of them. One is a lack of empathy. Men don't understand that men and women are having different experiences. Again, because we never stop to think about it. And so unless we're having a conversation, you know, I don't realize everything that's going on in your life, you know, for, for all the working women out there, just simple conversation, you know, there, there's a lot of um, uh, reading they can do on the fact and, and share it with their, their significant others on the fact that women have two full-time jobs. They have a full-time job at work and then they come home and have another full-time job with the house and the family. And it doesn't seem like that big a deal. And it really, really is. You mean it doesn't seem like that big of a deal to the men? Correct. Okay, because I got to tell you, me and my girlfriends know what a big deal oh, it is. Oh, my God, no. No, it's a really <laughs> big deal. So, uh, uh, and, and so, and then the other one is fear. And you talk about this, but this is one of the, you know, this is one of the big challenges that, that are facing men today. We, and it goes back to what I just talked about on the empathy thing. Kathleen, I am scared to death to, quite frankly, ask questions around, tell me about your experience. What are you experiencing? You know, it's really sad. Every day in the news, there seems to be another incident. And, you know, men are walking on eggshells. Uh, We don't know what we can say. We don't know what we can do. And we can have really long, happy lives by choosing to do nothing, by, by choosing to ignore this topic and just kicking the can down the road. And so the way to overcome fear I have found, whether it's a corporate setting or talking about money, 
is really a personal connection. You have to find that personal connection that is going to get that man to choose to want to engage in this conversation. And, and, and you know, that could be a conversation around how are we going to take care of the children? What does intergenerational wealth look like? Um, you know, those kind of things. So, so the way to overcome fear and actually create advocates is to find whatever that personal advocacy element is to help drive that change. I love that. So those are great tips. So really finding something you connect to that's going to motivate you to advocate for women or just for open communication around money. Um, So, Jeffrey, I know you have a really great offer for listeners and you have Uh so much more you could share that we just have run out of time to share today. Um, So tell us a little bit about um, where they can find out more from you. And also, uh, I love this offer. So tell us about this offer. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, You know, my uh, my website is www.yywomen.biz.biz. And for those of you in corporate America or doing women's leadership work, there's all kinds of tips and techniques to implement gender strategies within your company. Please go out there. But my offer is for the first five listeners who listen to this podcast and email Kathleen, uh, I will send them a copy of Selling to Men, Selling to Women. And, and hopefully you can use that book to help start a conversation around wealth and uh, financial matters in your own household. Well, thank you so much for that generous offer. We are talking to Jeffrey Tobias Halter. He is the president of Why Women. So thank you, Jeffrey, for your time and your expertise. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.